Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being this morning. Can you bring them off? Sure. Is it better? It's on. The green, green light's on. Is it better? Testing. Testing. Good morning again. Thanks, everyone, for being here. I am obviously nervous seeing all of you. <laughs> but uh, your presence gives me the adrenaline and the support I need this morning. First, I want to thank my teacher, Abbot Kaling, for being my spiritual guide for so many years. And uh, for your smile and your peaceful eyes. I also want to thank my, my wife, Matilde, who's here, my daughter, Manuela, my sons, Agustin, Juan Diego, and their beloved ones, Elise, Yvonne, and Joaquin, and my grandchild, Tomasito, who's there. <laughs> All of you are the light of my life. I also want to thank uh, you as, as a Sangha um, and my group in, in Spanish, Dharma Español. You are my spiritual refuge. It's so comforting to see, to see you, all of you, every Sunday, sharing your smile, your words, your lives, your happiness, your suffering, and also your silence. And I also want to thank my Ecuadorian Sangha, who is there. And uh, I want to thank them for their love and perseverance for practicing Zen for over uh, four decades. Well, when Galen Roshi asked me nicely if I could give a talk, my first reaction was, what can I talk about? <laughs> what can I say uh, that has not been said before by you know, our wiser teachers and priests and friends and all of you? So in trying to choose the topic, uh, I had to obviously do a quick mental trip to my soul, <laughs> to my real self. And then I asked myself, is there a real self? It didn't work that way. So I thought I would try to talk about what has really moved me in my life. So what, what is that? What is that that kicks me out of bed every morning? What is that that has made me um, act without thinking? What makes me emotional? What makes my heart beat and rest? What makes me become strong and defend no matter what? For some reason, I reached the conclusion that for me, this inner energy is alleviating the suffering of all sentient beings. Strong words. Perhaps this has helped me to connect uh, so strongly with Zen. After realizing that this is one of the main precepts of the Bodhisattva and one of the three pure precepts in Zen, which is I bow to embrace all, uh, I bow to embrace and sustain all beings. But to explain why this precept has resonated so much in my life, 
let me tell you something about myself and, and my my story and how I became involved in in Zen practice. I come from a large family. I am from Ecuador. I am the 12, the 11 of 12 kids. My dad, who was a doctor, was very often away from trips. And uh, when I was going to be delivered, obviously he was away. So my mom, she had to ask one of my sisters, take me to the hospital. And she did. Um, I think my mother had already her own place after 10 deliveries because I, I was the 11. <laughs> so I think she had a special place at the hospital. <laughs> so, so during labor, guess what happened? The electricity went off. <laughs> and the hospitals in Quito at that time didn't, did not have an emergency plan. So the doctor just had to do their best. They called you know, somebody to help and they brought a lot of candles that they put around my mom's uh, hospital bed. And uh, then my father was informed, you know, uh, my mom was, uh, was in labor. So he arrived, uh, you know, to the city and, and ran to the, to the hospital. And then um, he saw just silence and darkness. Okay, he got very anxious <laughs> and he ran to the labor room. And then he saw my mom surrounded by a lot of candles uh, and so he says you know this is it you know my my wife and child have died <laughs> because it was a lot of candles around so it was not the case you know and a new baby of 11 pounds was born and this is me <laughs> almost my size and, and height now <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, the first years of my childhood were magical. Uh, I grew up in a huge, all mysterious house surrounded by large trees and pines where I connected with your child last week and, and what, with your retreat. And I had many unforgettable and even challenging uh, adventures with my uh, older si siblings, you know, to survive. We just had to follow them in whatever they do. So that was challenging and sometimes was even <laughs> dangerous. <laughs> so um, I grew up and developed emotionally and physically as any other child with some economic and affective limitations due to the family size and the need to be individualized and recognized. I think that was, you know, main main issue for all of us. Uh, I also saw my father seeing patients that came to our house from the countryside and from less developed areas of the country. They could not afford, obviously, to pay a doctor, and they just came to to see a doctor, you know, uh, to see my dad as a doctor. And he was paid with uh, obviously not money because he didn't have money. They, they, he was paid by giving him um, hands, grains, uh, cheese, whatever, you know, they had. So our house was the clinic for all these patients. And whether we like it or not, uh, you know, sometimes I, I didn't like to see all these people there, you know, occupying our living room and our, but, you know, we got used to that. And we saw this side of humanity. Probably these experiences were the most important factors that determined my growth as an adult. Also, as I mentioned before, because we were so many in, in the family, 
in our family, we develop our own survival dynamic. And there were many times where there was just one piece of bread, and no new clothes, no shoes until next year, and no new books. We have to inherit the books from the siblings. And, and I had to ride a bike that was uh, you know, used by the 10 of, of the oldest siblings. So we learned solidarity and generosity. And I remember that none of us could be happy if we saw that one of us did not have enough food or candy. We, we just need to share always. So I, I just learned that generosity exists even in scarcity. During this time, uh, I, you know, I grew up as, as a teenager and I, I was obviously trying to obey my dad. And I joined for a few, uh, for a few years the Opus Dei which is a very strict Catholic institution. I don't know if you have heard the Opus Dei. It's an it's a institution, Catholic institution, uh, I think that was established in Spain and, and went to South America, to several countries, and, and obviously in Ecuador. So I was part of this uh, Catholic movement. And uh, later I started college in the Catholic University and I met Father Marco. He was my savior, I would say. <laughs> He was a Jesuit priest who learned Zen meditation with a, a Japanese monk in Paris. Uh, his name was Taisen Deshimaru. Obviously, because Marco was a Jesuit priest and he was the head of the, uh, of the Jesuit community in Ecuador, when he returned to Ecuador, he could, he could not publicly do Zen because it was a conflict for, for him. So he started a, a Zen group called Meditación Integrada. So I think he was very wise and he says, you know, I need to do something. So he uh, called, you know, young college students and, and, and he formed this, this group. So how it happened, my involvement with, with, this, with this meditation group. And for some reason, I met Father Marco because he was part of the university. And I was still involved in the Opus Dei. It were, you know, any meditation or, or practice outside the Opus Dei was like coming from the devil. But, uh, and, and I was so suspicious and, and, and afraid to do anything outside the Opus Dei. However, Father Marco told me, you know, come, come to this group, you will like it. And, and you don't need to see because I was even afraid to, to see it. <laughs> and he said, you know, just come to to see us and, and you can stay at the back of the room, just be quiet and, uh, and, and you will see it by yourself. So that was my first experience just as an spectator. And, um, and I saw there was nothing strange. It was so peaceful. So I decided to join the group next time. So this was my, uh, my beginning of sitting with Marco and I always remember uh, from him these words that he was telling us, if during sasen something non-material touches your soul, it, or if you had what he called an experience beyond any knowledge or concept, or at least if you could have a glimpse of, of your true nature, then Sen is a path of no return. And, and I will always remember his his words. At the same time, I met in Quito another great teacher uh, of life, 
and she was also a Sam practitioner. Her name was Vera Kong. Uh, she, she was a Jewish woman who uh, had to leave uh, Czechoslovakia, her home country, because she was, her family was chased by the Nazi regime, you know, after the Second World War. And she was traveling in, in a big ship with the, her family to Argentina. And what happened is that she got a tropical disease. She was, uh, she just got that. And obviously uh, the, the captain of the ship, they said, you know, we cannot go on because you're putting in risk, obviously, to all the passengers. So they had to uh, stop in Ecuador, in a port of Ecuador. It was not planned. And, uh, and so she stayed there with her husband and, and two little daughters. But what happened is that she stayed forever in, in Ecuador. <laughs> you know, the coast was uh, a little hot for her. Uh, the Pacific, so she went to Quito and, and she stayed there forever. She has a, a, an incredible story. So Vera was a psychologist and she was a, a Zen practitioner. She learned sense uh, through Carfrey uh, Durkin, who was a German soldier who lived in Japan for several years, and he experienced Zen through uh, another Zen teacher, Daitetsu Teitaro Suzuki. And while he was a soldier, was taken prisoner in Japan by the US Army, and he was repatriated to Germany after you know the world ended. And so Vera met this this great teacher as well. So together, uh, Vera and uh, Father Marco founded in Quito a center which is called Centro de Desarrollo Integral where Zen is practiced even up to now in two places, in the center itself, which is a beautiful house, and also in Vera's house, uh, which she died, but still her house is, is there. So there are two groups practicing there. And I was so fortunate to serve this group for several years after Vera passed away. So this was the beginning of my path Zen in Ecuador. A few years later, I came to the US to study uh, in SMU in Dallas, where I met uh, Ruben Abito. Probably some, some of you know Ruben Abito. Uh, raise your hand who knows Ruben. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a great teacher. Uh, he's a Zen monk from the Sambo Kiyodan School. And it, it happens also that Ruben was a Jesuit priest. And he embraced Zen after living in Japan as a missionary for several years. He received his Dharma trans transmission from teacher Yamada Kohn. In his center in Dallas, I had the opportunity to do some Kohn practice. I don't know if you have done Kohn practice. Raise your hand, who, who has done it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know what, what that is. You know, I, was, I was given a little bit of that practice and I felt so frustrated and confused <laughs> trying to trying to describe what a koan is or trying to explain and, and I think that was the purpose of, of this exercise and it was for me it was frustrating but what I, I learned from this practice is that uh, this not thinking a stage where you get so confused and so frustrated you say enough I will not think anymore about this so, and, and what I learned is that this uh, giving up or this not thinking requires a lot of trust, a lot of trust in, in, in your teacher, 
in, in the Sangha that is sustaining you and, and yourself. So that was a great learning for me. And then in 2006, I came to Houston and I met my dear teacher, Kevin. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in preparing, preparing or after preparing this um, teaching, I, I was thinking, you know, how many teachers, mentors, persons have contributed to me this morning for this, for this talk on, and obviously for, for my life and how thankful, thankful I am to them. So I, I invite all of you to just think for a moment how many persons, teachers, and, and events have uh, brought you here. And, and we should be very thankful for that. There are many stories and many events, but they are not coincidence. Uh, we are just here. So going back a little bit to my topic, I have asked myself, what, what is this alleviating the suffering of all beings? What, why is this so strong to me? Where is it coming from? Perhaps, obviously, I saw my dad trying to cure so many people who arrived to my home for medical help. Also because uh, while going to school and college and taking the public transportation, I saw you know, the needs of, of ordinary people in the street. Perhaps also my own suffering as a child with my siblings, with many emotionals and emotional and physical needs. Not sure why, but this huge precept has become the pivot of my life. I think that alleviating the suffering of all sentient beings is not something that I choose to do. It's something that for some reason uh, chooses you to, to just become identified with that. So when I started to connect with Sen and, and when I realized that I was already walking in this beautiful path with no return, as Father Marco used to tell me, I found that this is one of the great precepts of the Bodhisattva, and it resonated so much to me. By practicing this precept, precept I be became aware that all of us have the capacity to alleviate somehow the suffering of all sentient beings. However, at the same time, or parallel to this practice, we must go on, on our personal path to heal and love ourselves. I think that is, that's the most difficult part, but this is the beauty of this. We need to heal ourselves to be able to help others. And to be able to heal ourselves and, and, and love ourselves, we totally depend on others. So this is, this is a cycle. And this proves that we are totally connected. According to Dolan, through the practice of compassion, we realize that there is an intimate connection between the conventional truth and the ultimate truth. Dogen says that through compassion, we become truly grounded in the conventional truth and thus prepare to receive the teaching of the ultimate truth. In Rev. Anderson's book, Being Upright, when he talks about the practice of compassion, he refers to a traditional saying about the Bodhisattvas, which says that entering the, the painful ways of the conventional world 
Bodhisattva Bhats will go up and attain awakening and then come down to transform all beings. He says that the Bodhisattva Bow is to continue this cycle until all animated and inanimated beings through the universe are restored to blissful peace and harmony. I want to leave you with some Dalai Lama words that summarize what I tried to convey you this morning. Let us embrace the transformative power of compassion as we embark on a journey of self-discovery and healing. By extending our care to others, we not only contribute to their well-being, but also unlock the hidden potential within ourselves to grow, heal, and love unconditionally. Let me read it one more time. Let us embrace the transformative power of compassion as we embark on a journey of self-discovery and healing. By extending our care to others, we not only contribute to their well-being, but also we unlock the hidden potential within ourselves to grow, to heal, and love and condition. Thank you.